Want to learn how to see and share Jesus from all the scripture? Learn with us at the Christ Centered and Clear podcast. Welcome to the Christ Center and Clear podcast. I'm Nate Aiken, your host, and with me today again is my brother John Aiken, also Josh Redberg, taking a short break from our study of Hebrews to focus on Advent, specifically how the women Matthew includes in the genealogy of Jesus provide a fascinating glimpse of God's grace. Last week, we looked at the story of Tamar, and today we're going to look at the account of Rahab and the conquest of Jericho. Uh, John, let's jump in. Before we look at Rahab, can you fill in what happens to God's people between uh, Tamar and Rahab, as we think about that genealogy. Yeah, so so basically, doing this quickly, God, you know, the the Bible begins with God giving a home to His people, giving land to His people in Eden. They lose it, um, and then the rest of the story of the Pentateuch, in, in in large part, is them trying to get back to paradise or a microcosm of paradise, and then that that is uh, that big story. Then the the little littler story than that of God promising this specific land to Abraham, but the, you know, in Canaan, but telling him in this interval between your, your offspring or your people are going to go in slavery for 400 years to Egypt. And then I'm going to bring them out. Uh, and so that's the story. God uses Joseph during the famine in the land to preserve the, the offspring of Abraham uh, they ended up being slaves in Egypt because of a of a pharaoh who who didn't recognize the authority of Joseph or, or whatever, um, and then and then God uses Moses to lead them out, and they're in the wilderness, and what should take a short amount of time, relatively speaking, to get from Egypt to Sinai, where they're they're at Sinai for a year, building the tabernacle, getting the laws, becoming a nation. Um, they rebel at Kadesh Barnea. Uh, Twelve spies, one for each of the tribes, is sent into the land. They they rebel and uh, they don't go in. And so the older generation dies in the wilderness. And then God raises up Joshua after Moses to lead the people in. Uh, there were only two spies who gave a good report, Joshua and Caleb. They're the only two over the age of 20 who get to enter in. And so th- there's that intervening, intervening time of 40 years where uh, the people are dying in the wilderness. And so we get to Joshua, where they're on the edge. They're on the the east side of the promised land in the in the plains of Moab, on the east side of the Jordan River, and they're getting ready to to go in and to do the conquest as God has told them. Joshua sends two spies in, uh, and they encounter Rahab, and then that's that's how we get this story of of redemption and God including the Gentiles and all the things that we're going to talk about today. But that that's basically what happens between Tamar. And Rahab, you have the people losing the land, then trying to get back there, rebelling, dying, and now this new generation is getting ready to go in. Josh, tell us about the just the story of Rahab, particularly people who are in the car maybe uh, generally know the story, but give us a little bit of a summary of what happens with the story of Rahab. So the two spies that are sent by Joshua come into the city of Jericho, and they go to uh, the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stay there. A word reaches the king of Jericho, and so he sends a message to Rahab and says, turn them over, and she deceives the messengers, she says, uh, of the king, and she says that they they came to me, yes, but they've left. Um, I think they went this way. If you go this way, um, you might be able to find them, but she's actually hidden them. 
before she sends them off, though, she asks for mercy. Uh, in a quite remarkable passage right in the middle mm-hmm. of Joshua 2, she talks about how she knows that their God will deliver that will deliver Jericho to them. And so she pleads with them for mercy, um, which is just this remarkable act of faith. She says in Joshua 2.12, Now swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my father's family because I showed kindness to you. Um, and she asks them to save her and her family from death. Just, just remarkable. And they, they say they will, and they give her a sign, which is a red cord hanging out there, out there, out her window along the wall. This will be the sign that God will deliver. So make sure it's there and anyone in your house that day will be saved. That really ends the, the, the story in, in chapter two, but then we read in chapter six, after the walls of Jericho fall, it says in Joshua six twenty five, Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, her father's family, and all who belonged to her because she hid the messengers Joshua had sent to spy on Jericho, and she still lives in Israel today. And so her request, her for mercy, her act of faith was rewarded with salvation when everyone around her uh, was destroyed. I'm going to ask a couple of questions around that in just a second. But John, why, uh, John or Josh, why do the spies, why do you think the spies go to the house of a prostitute? I, I think what's happening here, I think some scholars point this out, that um, that Rahab potentially, w- w- whether she was specifically a prostitute or she was more like a madam, it, it could be that she she was keeping an inn of sorts where this this was a this was a place that would entertain travelers as they came in, and and had a, an entire menu of options that they provided to people who stayed there. One would be, uh, you know, a prostitute, and then lodging and meals and whatever. Um, and so I think that's that's a likely uh, explanation that 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 these would be the kinds of places that strangers would be mm-hmm. normally going to um, in in a town like that. That's that's what yeah. I've read and seems convincing to me. I think that's a, that that makes a lot of sense. The location of her house too. It says that her house um, is is was built into the wall of the city. So the, the location of her house makes sense. It's a place where men would come, and maybe men would come in secret. Um, it's also the type of occupation where you potentially could get someone to keep a secret. So she's likely not real well off because of her occupation. So you might be able to pay her hush money. And then ultimately, as Bible readers, we should understand that the reason they're there is because God directs them there. Like his hand in in orchestrating the events is clear um, in their choice of going to her house. But don't any no pastors don't stay at a brothel on missions trips or yeah. any other time. Like this is unique again for this moment yes. in history. Again, as we had to say in one of our first ever episodes, it's not a one to one application um, <laughs> yes. from from description, not uh, prescription, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, well, that that does raise a really thorny issue in the text. How are we to understand? Um, and we've talked about something similar when we went through uh, talked about the midwives. I think in Exodus. Um, how are we to understand the lie Rahab tells to the authorities? Yeah, I think that's a great example. The midwives, I, th- I pointed to that when preaching this text. So my my answer is twofold. One is understand what the text is teaching and what it's not. Like John just said, prescriptive, descriptive. It doesn't actually comment on how she protected them, but it does comment on that she she protected them. She risked her life 
to protect them, she acted in faith. So that's the focus on the text. The text doesn't really get into that. But I think there are a few times in the Bible where we see people commended for their faith when they deceived authorities that were attempting to do evil. They were attempting to harm those who are innocent. The Hebrew miswives is another great example. And so I do think we have these, these glimpses in Scripture that when someone is attempting to victimize someone, someone is attempting to harm someone, something that's outright evil, that you're under no obligation to assist them in that. In fact, that there are times you can act in faith to protect them when it's clear that you know they're, they're intending to do harm to, to someone. I, I think standing around, I'm reading through Isaiah right now with some, some men in my church, like there, there were religious leaders standing around watching people get victimized and they're not commended for it. Um, they're told like, well, what are you doing? Why aren't you acting on behalf of the poor and the widow? And I think we, when we see this happen and at times when there are authorities that are evil, that requires um, not participating with them, but pointing them the other direction to protect someone. Yeah, I would just, I would add to that to just, if you want to get into Christian ethics, I, I think that the best system of approaching the Bible is there's different names I think that have been used for it: graded absolutism or hierarchalism. Those are big words, but basically say that there it's rare, and so we can't use this as an excuse. But there will potentially be times in life where two commands of God come into conflict, and you have to choose by faith and hope. You know, as Josh talked about God leading you to this, like what is the greater good here? And so, should we obey government? Yes. Should we should we bow down to an image that Nebuchadnezzar is compelling us to bow down to instead of to the Lord only? No. And so when those two come into conflict, conflict, you choose God, right? At the, in Acts, the, the apostles are saying, well, we, whether we should obey you or God, you guys decide that we're going to keep talking about Jesus. And so I think that one of the key ways is when it comes to, Josh kept using the word victimize, like, if, if somebody's life is in danger, like I, I think is absolutely appropriate for Christian people to hide Jews away during World War II and during the Holocaust and to, and to deceive yeah. uh, authorities that were trying to hunt them down and kill them. And, and so I don't think that, I think they're choosing a higher, a higher good there. And again, that's, those are very rare circumstances, but you do see circumstances like that, whether you have to choose between obeying God or man or preserving life, you know, or being a little bit deceptive in order to protect life. Those are some examples we see in scripture. I think to turn it into a test case for like, it's okay to lie is to completely to miss the point. Like these are unique moments, not opportunities, unique moments when like people's innocent lives are about to be destroyed. And so in those circumstances, like this this is what we're talking about. We're not talking about like, I don't want to be punished because I didn't get my homework done. So I lied to my parents. Like these are not morally equivalent. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I, I tell the professor, I saw somebody who, a a lady professor at a a university who put out a tweet that said, um, my first semester teaching, I taught an 8am class and so many grandmothers died that semester. When I started teaching the 3pm class, all of a sudden I saved all the grandmothers lives. And so it's just a way of saying, <laughs> yeah. you know, you, you can't use this as an excuse to lie because you didn't take care of your responsibilities. John, uh, we, we've hit on this in previous episodes, I think. And I know we've talked about it on a panel, I think, that we put on the podcast. 
but it is one of the most common objections to Christ-centered interpretation of the Old Testament. Uh, I think it's an important topic. So I'll start with you, and then Josh, you can add in. But what is the significance of the red cord that uh, Rahab hangs from her window? Uh, certainly, we know there's just a practical significance you can talk about, but then also, is there a theological significance as well? Well, he he already touched on the practical. There's a theological significance, absolutely. I think it's it's reminding us intentionally of the Passover, um, where blood was displayed on the doorpost of the house and death uh, passes them over. And so uh, that's the sign that they give. It's not a coincidence that Israel celebrates the Passover for the first time in the land right before they enter Jericho. Uh, and this is how God saved Israel to get them to this point. And this is how he's going to save the nations as well. He's going to include the nations. And he does that with, with Rahab here. And so I think it foreshadows the cross. Those um, who apply the blood uh, to their lives escape judgment. Now, I'm not saying um, that every instance of red in the Bible is talking about the blood of Jesus or anything like that. This is in the specific context of the Passover story and how God has freed them from slavery in Egypt and is getting them to this point. Anything you would add there about uh, the red cord? Did you used to push back on using the red cord as a way to point to Jesus? You know, I think I probably did use an example just saying like not everything that's red points us to Jesus, except <laughs> in this case it does. But not because it's red. It's the it's the multiple touch points. And particularly following the Exodus, it's the inclusion of a Gentile with... Um, with the people of God. So I, th I think it's similar to the book of Acts where you have the baptism of the spirit at multiple points and each one is showing like, uh, oh, they're included too. Like, so it's not that we need multiple baptisms of the spirit in the future. It's just that it happens a few times, Pentecost first, then it happens later with the, the disciples of John the Baptist. Then it happens with Gentiles. And each time is saying like, hey, understand this group's part of it too. So this is the Passover equivalent to the Gentiles are can be included in the people of God through the, the sacrifice of the lamb. And so I, I think that's how we do need to interpret it. But I didn't see it at first. Outside of, yeah. Uh, outside of Joshua, where else is Rahab mentioned uh, in, in the scriptures? Well, she's not mentioned by name in Judges, though you know, though Boaz is, and we, we, we found out later, um, we find out in the um, genealogy in Matthew that Boaz was Rahab's descendant or, or her son. Um, but then you, you see her listed both in Hebrews 11 and James 2, which is, is mm -hmm. quite remarkable that of all of the, the saints from the Old Testament to choose, she's, she's chosen. And it's interesting, right, that both times later in the New Testament, so not in Matthew, but in Hebrews and James, she is called Rahab the prostitute. So that's included sort of intentionally to to signify something unique, right? About faith and about justification. Um, in James, for instance, she was justified by works in receiving the messengers. And we understand like the works aren't what justified her. They're the demonstration that her that she has been justified. It demonstrated that her faith was was real and was true, and so she becomes this picture of faith uh, that that the New Testament writers draw on. Uh, Josh, I'll come right back to you, and then John. I know you're probably preparing uh, in in this way, but when you preach this as an Advent Christmas sermon, Josh, how did you make specific connections to Advent? Uh, Christmas themes and so forth. And then John, I'll ask you the same question. 
a lot of what I focus on was legacy um, because the legacy of Rahab is interesting because rarely is her name said in a church without the words, the prostitute, which I mean, if you're going to have a nickname in church, it's not the one you want, <laughs> right? That for here we are, you know, many millennium later, and we refer to her as Rahab, the prostitute. But yet that's not her legacy, which is what's right. remarkable. Her legacy is faith. Her legacy is being included in the, in the, the genealogy of Christ, in the, the, the line of Abraham that, that brings the Messiah. And so this, the grace that she received, it changed this, this entire family legacy where she went from a, a Gentile sinner prostitute to this, this woman who's held up as an example of faith who's the grand, great-grandmother of, of King David, who's in the line of the Messiah. So just, just thinking about that in, in regards to Advent and how Jesus has the power to change an entire legacy. I remember using the story of Chuck Colson um, during that time, mm. just because it's like it, this, this, this man sent to prison, and he's sent to prison as sort of this, this political shark that no one liked, no one cared about, but it was in this in this traumatic event that he comes to faith in Christ and his legacy, his legacy is tied in with prisons, which is pretty remarkable. He didn't run from that. He sort of like, he pursued that and he went in and started, you know, ministering to prisoners. And, uh, you know, we don't know how many thousands of prisoners came to faith in Christ because of what Colson did. And so like Rahab, he's got this, this sort of two part legacy in one sense, he's a prisoner like maybe it's mentioned early on, he was sent to prison. I, th I think I read from his obituary. I don't remember if it was, it might've been not long after I actually passed away, you know, and that's one of the early things is that he was sent to prison, but the legacy really isn't that he was sent to prison. It was that he, he reached prisoners with the gospel. Rahab's legacy really isn't prostitution. It's faith in Christ and, um, you know, part of the, part of the, the family of the Messiah. Mm. John, as you prepare for uh, for that part of your Advent series, what are going to be some of the connections you make? So, yeah, I think just two additional ones to the to the red cord that I will make is one. This is one of those passages that people look at. This story of Jericho is a passage people look at and say, "Man, that's pretty harsh. Like, why did they wipe out everybody in the, in the town?" Well, we're we're told why. You know, Genesis fifteen. 16 is the background, the iniquity of the Amorites not yet complete, that that there's going to be judgment that's poured out. But what I what I focus on in this message is to say, look, um, both Rahab, this is John 3.16, okay? This was what hap is what's happening here. Both Rahab and the people of Jericho heard the exact same story. They heard about the parting of the Red Sea. They heard about Sihon and Og being defeated. One responded with rebellion and saying, we need to kill these people. The other responded with repentance and faith and said, I know God is giving us into your hands. Please be merciful to me, a sinner. And so, so for one, it's going to, it's just going to be to plead with people. Hey, listen, no matter who you are, it doesn't matter what your DNA is, what your background is. Th this is a story of redemption. And that takes place in Jesus Christ. What you do with Jesus at the end of the day is what matters. And can you have a confession of faith like Rahab mm. that says, I want to be part of the people of God and I want you to show me mercy, uh, you know, in Jesus Christ, or are you going to rebel against that? The other is to say, and I love Josh's point about legacy, the other, to say she absolutely is in the, 
is in the family line, not and not just of of Jesus, although she is, but her. Think about her legacy: Boaz, Ruth, mm. David, Jesus. Like like God, because of her faith that she's willing to put into action. Like James two uses her as an example, of not just of of just saying you believe something, but like real living faith. Man, she this this prostitute altered the course of human events, altered uh, the history of Israel and and brought about their king and then ultimately uh, their Messiah. And so it doesn't matter I, what I tell people, and I d- do this in the Tamar sermon, and I'll do it in the Rahab sermon, uh, and I'll do it in the Ruth sermon too. It doesn't matter what your backstory is. God can still redeem it and use something, you know, use it going forward. Um, and so that's incredibly encouraging news. Um, that's only true because of because of Christmas. Yeah, one more connection to Advent is that God is at work in directing things behind the scenes that we never see. Because I, I was thinking about this story, and so many things in the story are necessary. Like, why do spies need to go into Jericho? They they don't actually learn anything about Jericho because I mean, what's the military strategy for Jericho? <laughs> Like you're going to walk around once a day for seven days and seven times. Like it wasn't like the spies came back and were like, Hey, we checked out the walls and we know that there's a fault line. Like it was an absolutely pointless spying mission apart from Rahab. Um, So like, there's just these, these things. Why did they show up at Rahab's house? Like we talked about that, but we know the real reason is because God wanted to save Rahab. And so I think there's an encouragement that in Advent season, sometimes we see the heartbreaking, you know, it's children who maybe seem to be wandering away. It's relatives who've rejected the faith. Like, don't give up hope that God's still at work, that God's directing things in ways that no one could have fathomed, um, that, that God is pursuing his people as he pursued Rahab. Good stuff. Well, uh, we do appreciate you tuning in to the Christ Turning Clear podcast. Join us next week as we continue the story of Advent by looking at the third woman listed. We've mentioned her already today, uh, Ruth, and we'll see the remarkable faith of this Gentile woman who ends up having a son named Obed, who's the father of Jesse, who's the father of David. And so we will uh, check out Ruth next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Christ Center and Clear podcast. If you have questions, topics, or texts that you'd like us to consider for future podcasts, please contact us at podcast at ChristCenteredAndClear.com. And please visit us at ChristCenteredAndClear.com for more resources that will help you see and share Jesus from all of Scripture. Scripture.